So we're in Romans chapter 12. If you can, please stand with me. We're going to start by reading from verse 1. Again, Romans chapter 12. Starting from verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, again for your holy word. Thank you, Lord, that now that we've gotten to this point where it's pivotal here now in Romans chapter 12, now we learn about the application of all that we've been learning so far. But Father, we pray that you would empower us by your spirit, even as we looked at earlier, abiding in Jesus, the true vine. Help us to do that, Lord. You want us to abide in you, Jesus, that as we abide in you, you would produce fruit. We would bear much fruit and so glorify our Heavenly Father by that fruit, Lord. We would prove to be your disciples. But help us, God. We need the helper. We need your help. We need your comforting. We need your enabling. That, that seed that gets planted from, say, an orange tree or any other kind of tree, God, it needs the nourishment that you can bring through the water, through the nutrients in the soil. It needs protection. It needs a sunlight. It needs the heat. It needs so many things, so many variables. Lord, these are the illustrations that you give to us. And we ask that you would help us to grow. One can plant, another can water, but God, you are the one that causes the growth. We know that you want to do these things in our lives. Help us to get out of the way to surrender to the work of your Spirit. So please do that work in our lives. Do that even here, we ask and pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. You guys could have a seat if you would, please. And so oftentimes, you and I as Christians, we might wonder, how can I grow? I want to grow. I want to mature in the ways of God. If you go into a Christian bookstore, I've noticed this. You go into a Christian bookstore, you'll see tons of books that are maybe classified as Christian living, kind of self-help type of books, and a little section for Bibles. And throughout the years, it has grown to be more and more that, where there's a lot of books about the how to do and what to do, and a little part for the Bibles. That's sad. And that's the reality of where we're at here in America. But I submit to you that this might be because, number one, there's a large lack of solid Bible teaching. There just is. That's not in New York City only. That's all around the world. That's prophesied in God's Word. And number two, you and I are sort of wired to try to figure out what to do. In other words, just show me what to do. Like the guy comes to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And that's found in the New Testament. What must I do in order to be saved? Theologically, doctrinally, the answer is nothing because you can't get yourself saved. Amen? 
Jesus does that work. And then we get saved, and then we're pondering, we're wondering, what must I do to grow? And it's sort of the same answer. In other words, God is the one that causes the growth. But then you and I are in this state of being perplexed constantly. What do I do? What do I do with my life? What's the game plan? And throughout the scriptures, you and I discover that it's a work of God for salvation, and it's also a work of God for what we might call sanctification, right? How he continues to set you apart. He sanctifies you and I one time when he dies on the cross as a one-time event, but sanctification is also described as an ongoing, lifelong event. Every day, you and I must wake up and grow up. I'll speak of myself. Wake up and grow up. Lord, I don't know what happened. Eight hours ago, I was praising your name. Oh, I fell asleep praying to you, talking to you. Glorious spending time with you wake up now eight hours later i feel crummy i don't feel like getting out of bed in fact prove to me you exist you know all these doubts might come in your head and heart has that happened to anybody that can happen to us and so it's a constant ongoing battle that you and i have this flesh versus spirit battle and one of the things that we find that the holy spirit's wanting to do is to simply have his way in the christian's life it's a tug of war some might describe it. It's that flesh versus spirit, spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. Not the external one, but the internal one. Amen? The flesh versus spirit battle. And because you and I, especially in America, we're wired to know and want to do all the time. That our books, our libraries, our Christian bookstores are filled with that. I, I have a whole bunch of books at home and people keep giving me, don't give me a book. <laughs> we get all these books and I have this library. Most of them I'm not reading because I, I have a hard enough time focusing on just one, just the Bible. But I've got all these books about how to do this, how to do this, what to do. And most of them are, are Christian. They're spiritual nature. I'm sure they're, they're good and godly things. But some of those things can get in the way, amen, of what the Lord, through the Spirit, and through the Scriptures, wants to do in the child of God's heart and life. So you and I, we have to admit that we're sort of wired to do things. So if we just showed up today, and we all, and you guys did, praise God, and we just go, okay, we're going to seek God. Then all of a sudden, in your heart and mind, the FAQ start going, okay, what are we going to do? When are we, when's it going to end? Is there going to be worship? Do I do, do we pray? Do we get on our knees? You know, it's all these things because we have sort of built up this sort of expectation, even in this fellowship, that we got to be careful of. And your own personal, private, devotional time. You may also have sort of your routine, right? How many of us have that routine? We typically do. And we exist by that. And that's a great godly thing. And there's a even a weekly structure. God set these things about. All the way you see from Torah, he sets about even certain things in the calendar, like a weekly cycle. Things even on the Jewish calendar cycle. So you and I are sort of wired to do. But I want to suggest to you today, as we get into this, and I don't want to just run through chapter 12. The teacher in me wants to run through. <laughs> the pastor in me is like, oh, I need this. 
God willing, we need this. But let's drill down deeper into verse 2. So I want to suggest to you today that we'll find in God's word that the path to growth isn't about just doing, but it's more about being. Again, it's not so much about doing, but it's more about being. That is, abiding in Jesus, being God's child, not doing so much the works that we, I'll say collectively the pronoun we, that we might be sort of wired to think, okay, I feel better about myself and my week if I do this, I give that, I go there, and I sort of check these things off. God becomes a task on my checklist. And we can all be guilty of that. Am I the only one that kind of senses that I'm kind of guilty of? Okay, God, forgive me, because it should be all about Jesus. Right? We sing, it's all about you, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, I give my calendar, like, no, 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 I'm sorry, God, wait, I don't have time. And we kind of get like that. So I want to submit to you today that God's path for growth isn't so much about the doing, but about being. And we're going to get into this, God willing, drill down a little deeper today. So just like the work of salvation, it's a work of God. The work of sanctification, setting you apart for his usage and his alone and his glory. That work of sanctification is also a work of the Holy Spirit. So what's your part? Let me just cut to the chase and say one of the things we'll look at, we even sang about it, surrender. I'm going to say it again. Surrender. I'm going to say it a third time because someone here needs to hear that. Surrender. Now some of you might spiritually be kind of tightening up now when you hear that word. Because in the American vocabulary, in our society, and sometimes us as Christians, we think surrender means defeat. But I'm telling you, as a Christian, surrender at his feet is the path for growth and maturing in God's ways. And that's a challenge that you and I have to get through, isn't it? So as we get into this, look at this again in verse 2, is our focus today, do not be conformed to this world. So even the world's definitions of surrender means, oh, put up the white flag, no way, I'm going to get tortured by the enemy. No. Surrender to the work of the Spirit. That's the way that the world thinks of that word surrender. And it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The work of sanctification in the life of the Christian is also a work of God. That only God can do, and dare I say, Christian, that each of us, including myself, God is right now waiting to do that work and has been waiting Maybe for your life has been waiting weeks, maybe months, maybe years, maybe decades. And he's such a gentleman that he'll keep knocking on that door. He'll keep wanting to do that work, but he can't. Why? Because you have to surrender. You have to allow him to. So here's now where we're at in the book of Romans. After eight chapters of Paul being used by God to lay out the most brilliant system, if you want to call it that, in the New Testament of doctrine, of teaching, of how you get saved. And it's all because of Christ. And you are justified by faith, by His grace. It's justified, never sinned. By getting through those eight chapters, and then you learn about Israel in Romans 9, 10, and 11. After getting through all that, 
Now comes the application. That's why chapter 12, it starts off, therefore. I beseech you, therefore. Because of everything I taught in 11 chapters, is what he's saying, if you've come to realize that and receive that, you're saved. Now what do I do with my life? Verse 1, as we looked at last week, dedicate your body a living sacrifice. And then verse 2, not just the body, now the mind, your thought life. Wait, wait a second. Sounds like i got to give my entire life to Jesus. Exactly. This is what you signed up for as a Christian. It's not being a part or member of a physical church, but being part of the family of God. You get Him forever, He needs you too, but it's up to you. So now in Romans 12, now in accepting salvation through Jesus Messiah, we now come to the logical application of these things. In verse 1 again, you and I need to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, and he says, which is your reasonable service. We looked at last week, reasonable service. That's the Greek word logikos, which is like the English word logical. It's logical. It's reasonable. It makes sense. I now, by the mercy of God, have been given salvation. I should have died and, and be given a cross and then be tortured in hell for judgment day. And then on judgment day, be thrown into the lake of fire for how long? For eternity. That's what I deserve. So don't ask God, God, I should get what I deserve. After all, my rights. No, don't ask God to give you what you deserve. That's what you and I deserve. Amen? But because of His mercy, He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Messiah, to take your place in mine as He died on the cross. He didn't give you what you deserve. He gave you mercy. And on top of that, He gives you grace. You get Himself. You get eternity in His eternal presence. And one of the blessings that you and I have now is that choice to choose to love Him that you would allow Him to transform you. That verse 1, dedicate your body a living sacrifice. It's logical. It's reasonable. He's not asking you for more than what you're able to give Him. And then verse 2, what if... What do I do after I dedicate my body to Him as a living sacrifice? Then verse 2, let God transform your thought life. I'll say that again. Let God transform your thought life. So you and I need to know that there's supposed to be an ongoing, a constant renewing of our thought life. This is why you and I, an ongoing renewing. This is why you and I could spend time with the Lord. Oh, we could have a glorious time fellowshipping with Him and with His people, even this morning. And then you leave out the door, yes, I'm a missionary for Christ. I get out the door, someone cuts me off, or something happens. This two minutes, maybe, 120 seconds after I left. Now I'm grumbling. Now I'm in sin already. That can happen to all of us. Does that happen just to me? Does that happen to any of you? And then what? Now i got to repent. <laughs> Now I have to confess. What happened to me? It's an ongoing relationship. An ongoing renewing. So gang, this happens day by day by spending enough quality time with the Lord in His presence. So here's what God says to you and me. We're going to start drilling down a little deeper now. That's verse 2 where we're going to focus on. Notice this here. Again, do not be conformed to this world. I'm going to share with you, first of all, it's not going to be a Greek class, obviously. 
I don't want it that because I'm going to burn everybody out, including myself. But I do want to share with you some of the nuggets that you find in the original language. When he says, do not be conformed, you need to know this is written as a command. Paul wrote this down. In the original Greek language, this is a command. So in other words, God's not suggesting to you to not be conformed to the world. Look, Drew, if you feel like it, don't be so worldly. He's not suggesting. He's commanding you and I. The Greek, in the original Greek language, it's written as what's called an imperative. That means a command. It is imperative that you do not be conformed to this world. So this is what it says. This is in Thayer's. I just copied this out of my Bible study software. Look at what's circled here in the red. For do not be conformed. This is the word that speaks of to conform oneself, i.e. one's mind and character. So your, your thoughts really go before your actions, right? So God wants to treat the inner person. To conform oneself to another's pattern. Fashion oneself according to. Now we can go on and on about this, especially these last three years or so during this supposed so-called shutdown. The world is trying to systematically conform you to its system. Any of you guys know that? It, it's no longer hidden in the dark. It's brashing out there. So much so that if you say anything against it, oh, you're a racist or whatever. They use all these terms to try to invoke, what, fear in a person. But notice, first of all, as we get into verse 2, it's a simple little word in the English language. The very first word, what does it say? And. And. We forget these little conjunctions. So what do I do after I dedicate my entire body to the Lord as a living sacrifice? Do this also. And along with dedicating your body a living sacrifice. In other words, these work together. Body and mind needs to be dedicated to God. Amen? And along with that, along with dedicating your entire body as a living sacrifice to God, Along with that, do this. That's why it says and. And do not be conformed. Let me give you the illustration of, say, a thermometer. Now, when we got in this morning and opened up the building and turned on the AC, it was a little muggy and stuffy and hot. So we went to that little device on the wall, and we had turned on the power, and right away something kicked in. There's a temperature that's set that, according to the temperature of the room, when that temperature for the air conditioning is set at a point where it's actually hotter in the room with the internal thermometer, something kicks in. But what do you call that device on the wall that sets the temperature? It's not a thermometer. That's called a thermostat. So a thermostat is different from a thermometer. A thermometer, simple definition here, a thermometer, depending on its environment, will change to adapt to its environment. So if a thermometer is put into a hot environment, the thermometer will change to read hot. If you take that thermometer and you put it into a cold environment, the thermometer will start to read cold. It changes to adapt. A thermostat is set to a certain temperature and it'll work, it'll fight to change the environment of the room. Make sense? So. One of the illustrations we might be able to say 
do not be conformed is don't be like the thermometer where you would change according to your environment. The Christian leaves here, oh yes, praise Jesus. And you go hang out with maybe your potty mouth friends. This used to be me. And all of a sudden, I can't say those things like you used to, but I would give in. Why? Peer pressure. Has that been anybody? Those things in a worldly environment will try to get you to conform, but be more like the thermometer, not the thermometer, I'm sorry, the thermostat. That the thermostat will set the temperature and work to change its surroundings to match. Well, wait a second, that means that probably with all of my friends and family, I'm always going to have to be the ther- thermostat. Exactly. That's why I would say to some Christians, you're only really in two modes in life. Once you're a, a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, you're serious about Jesus and you want to grow and mature, you're either in ministry mode or fellowship mode. That's why we can let down our guard when we're here. We could discuss spiritual things and we're in koinonia, fellowship mode with other Christians. And then when I'm at my workplace, yes, I get paid, or whoever you're with, maybe a family, maybe others, maybe in your neighborhood. Now I need to be in ministry mode. I got to be on guard because I'm around some people. They're not even born again. It's like this child that never got born. And what happens is they're going to drag me into death. They're always about things of the flesh. And I got to be on guard. They're going to invite me out to the bar, out to the club. Come on, let's let's just go smoke this stuff. No, (laughs) I got to be on guard. And we can have friends like that. So be more like the thermostat than the thermometer. Do not be conformed. I I want us to look at this word a little bit. Look at this word for conform. You can see this here on the screen. Do not be conformed. It's a command. I'm probably butchering the the pronunciation of this. Basically, I won't won't try here. (laughs) Basically, what this is kind of saying in the English language, if you look at the Greek word as it's transliterated into English characters, suskematizo, I can't even pronounce it. Schematic. Schematic. The world will have its schematic, its pattern that it will try to systematically get you to conform to its schematic. The problem with it, too, that we're seeing even in more recent years is that that schematic keeps changing, right? So God says in the Word, marriage is between one man, one woman. God says in the Word that He created two genders. He created them male and female in Genesis chapter 1. The world's schematic call it woke or not, is trying to say, no, there are more than, and it keeps changing. So even from the worldly sense, there are people that are even saying, this stuff's crazy, it's mental. This is a mental illness, some would say. I'm not saying it is. But I'm saying that there's no base in reality. Okay, so you and I have to guard over our thought life, and there's two groups of people. There's those that will be like the thermometer that will be conformed to the world. That's when the schematic of the world comes upon that person, they'll change to adapt to the world's schematics. And God is saying and commanding you and I, do not be conformed. This is a command. Don't be conformed to the world. 
And we're talking about the thought life. We already got about the body. That's verse 1. Now what do I need to do? He wants to transform the inner person now. Time to grow. Time to mature. Drew, time to mature. So it says, and here. He wants you and I, on top of dedicating our bodies to him, a living sacrifice. I'll try to pronounce this. Suske matizo. Probably butchering the pronunciation. Okay. Again, schematic. The world will have a schematic. It means to conform oneself to another's pattern. It's like the English word schematic. So the world schematic will say things like, you evolved from monkeys. And God will say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis 1 verse 27 says, quote, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. Did you get that? Two genders, male and female, he created them. That's in the very first chapter of the Bible. So the world's woke schematic is trying to get people to think, especially in these past recent years, there's more than two genders. No, there isn't. Not according to God's word. So it's a matter of, do I want to take the world's schematic? God says and commands you and I, do not be conformed to the world's schematic. Or the other type of person is, no way, I don't want to do that. I need to, as he says here, be transformed in my thought life. Be transformed in the renewing of our minds. So don't be conformed to the world. That's a command he gives to all Christians. Not a suggestion. It's not an option. You need to do this. First, dedicate your body. It's reasonable. Verse 1. And then, and, are on top of, along with dedicating your body to Jesus, a living sacrifice, and don't be conformed to the world. And then moving on, what does he say here now in the affirmative? It's not so much just to say no to the ungodliness and the worldly ways and the worldly thoughts. By the way, if all you do is say no and never do something in the affirmative or the positive, never commit, then what happens? You're going to go right back to that. Anybody know that? <laughs> I think we can all testify that. If you've been a Christian for some years, you'll know. You'll know by experience. So he says, be transformed. This is also a command. Again, we're trying to drill down deeper. So stay with me on this if you can. Don't be conformed to the world's schematic. But he says, be transformed. That's a command. And this is what I want to focus on here, guys. Being transformed is written in what's called passive action. It's a passive activity. Wait a second. What are you talking about, Drew? I need to be transformed. It's commanded to be transformed, but you and I are helpless to transform ourselves. Don't lose anybody here. <laughs> I know that can be tough, right? But this is what the Bible teaches, and this is specifically what... Romans 12, verse 2 says. So I really, believe me, I want to get to the, the spiritual gifts and all this stuff in Romans 12. I love, I salivate about the spiritual gifts. But before you and I can get there, he says what? Dedicate your body a living sacrifice. Change your thought life too. Don't be conformed to the world schematic. You need to be transformed. And there's this ongoing renewing of our minds. He's commanding us to be renewed or to be transformed. But... When you look at the specific way it's written in this Greek language, being transformed is passive. Wait, what does this mean, Drew? 
What does this mean, God? What are you writing about, Paul? (laughs) Commanded to be transformed and yet helpless to transform yourself. Why? Because you do not do the action. As written here, I put on the slide in the red, you are the recipient of the action. That's passive. You're not the doer of the action. Who's the doer of the action of transforming you? The Holy Spirit. You are just the recipient. And you're, someone's probably sitting there going, great, I came in on the wrong day. Because <laughs> this is really tough. We were talking about this last night in my family. Okay. Now notice what he says here about being transformed. Metamorpho, metamorphosis. The picture you get is, again, the butterfly, like the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. I love this picture, and I just share this real quickly, uh, even telling this to my kids. So the butterfly, or the caterpillar, goes and it weaves this cocoon, the chrysalis, right? It goes into this cocoon, and once it's sealed in there, it becomes sort of a picture of death. What's it doing in there? Nothing. Its body just turns into a soupy mess, and it gets metamorphosized. There's a metamorpho that goes on. It's being transformed from one thing to another. The caterpillar turning into the glorious, beautiful butterfly. Everything changes. The The mouth changes. It's got this long tongue. You guys ever seen a butterfly up close? When it goes to the petal of a flower, it's got this coiled up... It's kind of weird, like it's like a yo-yo. It got this long proboscis, I think it's called. It's like his tongue... It can go into a flower and it licks up all the nectar. It didn't have that when it was a caterpillar. Its food source changed. You became a Christian. Your food source changed. Make sense? It was on the ground, gnawing on leaves primarily, goes under a leaf or a branch, creates that cocoon, the chrysalis, crawls up inside of it, and it gets transformed and now it's going to eat nectar wasn't doing that as a caterpillar. It's now metamorphosized. It's been transformed. And you and I as a Christian, that, that's a great illustration. That illustration, by the way, is not in the Bible. So if you go and search for butterfly, where is it in the Bible? <laughs> a lot of us as Christians, we love that in God's creation because it's one of the few items or creations that God made. I think that's the rain. Yeah. yeah. That provides that picture. So this word metamorpho. It means, look at what's circled here in the blue, to change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. So the point is, the one who does the work of transformation is the Holy Spirit. You're commanded to be transformed, but the one that does the work, who's right now waiting, and for however long you are alive, you've been alive, especially since you've been a Christian, that's how long he's been waiting to do that work. Think about that, Christian. It's not a matter of you going more, giving more, buying more books, reading more books. But can you surrender to the work of the Spirit? So your role is basically to seek God and to surrender. Your role is to seek God and to surrender. If you want to get past verse 2 and really apply the rest of the book and the chapter... Oh, we love the spiritual gifts. So why don't we see the gifts flowing and that child of God growing? It could be verse 1, dedicating our bodies a living sacrifice. And verse 2, 
allowing the transformative work of the Holy Spirit internally that He renew our minds. Amen? Hopefully this is making sense to someone here. For that one person, praise God. I'm praying for you because it's going to be tough. This word for transform only occurs in two other places in the Bible. Paul also used this in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 where he writes, But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are, listen to this, being transformed, that's the same word, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So hey, spending time in the presence of the Lord, what does He want to do? He wants to transform you from the inside out. But this is the reason why, Christian, that many of us are not growing. He wants to transform he wants to renew our minds. And it's an ongoing thing. So the day that you're spending time with the Lord, maybe with a group or maybe individually, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. This is what my brothers and sisters in Christ have been telling me about. Let that minister to you. And let that feed you and remind you, oh, Lord, you want this all the time. Every day. The only other place that this word metamorpho was used, remember the Mount of Transfiguration of Jesus? You'll find that in Mark 9, verse 2, where it says, quote, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. That's also this word. Only places used in the Bible. Jesus was transformed, metamorpho He was transfigured right in front of their presence. And Peter and those guys were so dumbfounded. Peter didn't even know what to say. Oh, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, think of like the whole tabernacle system. Let's make three of them. One for you, Moses, and Elijah. And it was so bad that the Heavenly Father had to interrupt him as if to say, and I won't say the word, but as if to say, oh, you know, be quiet. Listen to my son. What happened there? I wish we had video of that. So he saw Jesus transfigured, transformed. He saw the glory of the Lord. And you and I, as we spend time in His presence, you and I can be transformed as well. So how is it that you and I are transformed? How can we be transformed? It's really by God's supernatural power. And this is the dilemma for Christians, for you and I. That it's there for us to grasp, and yet it feels so elusive. Is that anybody else here? You think like, it's, it's there. He commands us, and we know in Scripture, by practical application, that the things that God asks you to do, He will equip you to do. So what does that tell me then, doctrinally? He's waiting, He's waiting, He's waiting. He's not waiting for you to pray. Uh, by the way, God, if you're taking suggestions, time for transformation. I'm here... He's waiting. He's a gentleman. He's not going to push his way into your life. He can mess with your will like he did with Jonah. But you have to be the one to surrender. Even a study in the Greek original language shows that you're commanded, but the action for this activity is passive. That means you are not the initiator. You are not the doer of the action. You are just the recipient of it. Again, that's called passive. And many of us have a problem with that. We also call that our prayer life. If you tell me to read and study the Bible and hand in my homework, I could do that. But 
spend time in his presence praying, oh boy, that could be a challenge. Any, any of you guys confess that that's more of a challenge? Okay, good, I'm not the only one. That's kind of how we're wired, right? We're wired to be doers, but not beers. And I'm not saying beer, by the way. Be. Like Jesus said, abide in him. By the way, one of the best illustrations of this, turn, turn to Luke 10, could you? And I'm going to be quick with this, and then we'll, we'll have a time. If anybody wants to just respond to the Lord, want to seek Him, surrender to Him, so we'll have a time of worship at the end. Luke chapter 10. This is one of the best illustrations of this. It's found in this story, as we call it, the Mary versus Martha story. Verse 38, Luke 10, verse 38, the last paragraph, it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And check out verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now you probably mentioned, you probably heard me mention before, if you've been in this church a matter of time, you'll hear me keep bringing this out that in the original Greek language is very rich here. So where it says heard his word is rendered in a way that we call imperfect tense. So when Mary heard the words of Jesus, it was not a one and done deal. She continued to hear his words. Wait a second. This isn't the MTA devotional. I got to get on the bus or subway and read a little bit, say a little bit, and then I'm there. So you got 30 seconds to speak to me, God. This is the picture of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's continuing to hear his words. Nowhere does it say she's giving him her prayer request. And yet we're wired for that. And it's good to do that. But let me say, it's better to hear what God might be convicting your heart to do. Amen? It's better to hear from him as to your prayer requests. You can get an answer right then. Oh, gosh, should I do this? Do you have his peace? Get to know how to hear his voice, how to authenticate something is from God. Test it by and through and with and only with the Bible. The will of God goes with the word of God. And if it doesn't comply, kick it out. It's not God. That was maybe your flesh. Maybe it's the pizza you ate last night. But it ain't the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is one of the best illustrations. You got Mary sitting at his feet continuing to hear his word. Ah, I love that. Martha was distracted with much serving. She approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her, that's a command. She tries to command Christ. You ever try to tell Jesus something to do? You tell him off or tell him, you got to do this. Listen, don't you see I'm hurting? Don't you know I have needs? Does he listen to those things? No. What does he do here? He rebukes the Martha and protects the Mary. Pay attention to that. Because he'll be always careful, it seems, to rebuke the Marthas in life. Or that could be me. And protect the Mary. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. She said that as a command. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. And verse 42, as we close this section at least, but one thing is needed. You know, in the entire Bible, and I searched for this, you can as well, 
There's only one place in the entire Bible where Jesus said there's only one thing needed, and it's right here. And it's pictured, it's illustrated as Mary at his feet, continuing to hear the words of Jesus. She's got how many ears? Two. How many mouths do we have? Oh, some of us like to talk. Sometimes I might have like ten mouths going at the same time. (laughs) He who has an ear, and we got two, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Maybe it's the reason why God gave us two, one mouth but two ears. Drew, you need to listen at least twice as much. But one thing is needed. And notice where it says, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Where it says Mary has chosen, in the original language also, this speaks of Mary doing the action to herself. Mary had to force herself to sit at the feet of Jesus, to remain there, and to continue to hear the words of Jesus. Now, how many of you know when you do your daily devotional or read the Bible or spend time with God or worship Him and fellowship with Jesus, fellowship with the body of Christ, how many of you know, like I do, you got to force yourself? Is that anybody else? Good. So that was not just Mary. You know why? Because that's the flesh versus spirit battle. Your flesh is like, no, sleep some more. You could do it later. Tomorrow, bro. And then tomorrow comes, you're like, uh, just do it tomorrow. <laughs> and that's what happens. And you have to force yourself. Now, I'm not saying be legalistic and wake up at 3 a.m. and do this every single day. But the reality is Mary, you see this in the original language, Mary had to force Mary to be at the feet of Jesus and to remain at the feet of Jesus and to continue to hear his voice. That's like you and I. If I were to tell you, seek God and surrender to God. And when you pray, stay in his presence, endeavoring to sharpen your listening ears. Lord, speak to me. One simple way that I would say many times my own prayers, just a practical application. Lord, what do you want me to do today? And many times I'll quickly change the subject if I'm... If I'm sensing that he's telling me something I don't want to hear, is that any of you guys? Oh, no, let me get back to the Bible study because I need to focus. <laughs> no, don't do that. Or, or maybe it's going to apologize to your wife. Oh, I'll, I'll say sorry to you, God. No, 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 go and make it right now. Ah, oh, do I have to? Yes. <laughs> this is why. <laughs> you got to make sure that you're spending time with the Lord. But one thing is needed, he might say to you. What is that? Depicted by Mary. You have to force yourself, just like Mary did. To remain, you have to choose, you have to force yourself to stay at the feet of Jesus and continuing to hear his voice. Oh, this is where the sweet fellowship of the Lord is so, so important, so vital that you wouldn't just spend time with the Lord, but spend enough quality time. It's a quality of time that makes sense, right? Amen. That you spend enough quality time that you and I as a Christian, we would grow and we would mature in God's ways. So may the Lord empower us to be that way. Let's getting back to uh, Romans 12. We're going to have to close at least the teaching part. So how do we do this? Isn't it a matter of reading the Bible and studying the Bible and going to Bible study? That's part of it. You need to do your part by getting God's Word in. And the Holy Spirit's job is to bring it out. But if you and I aren't getting it in, it ain't nothing to bring out. Amen? So part of it is reading and studying the Bible. We're also commanded to do these things. And we're kind of wired for those actions, those activities. 
But this is saying in Romans 12, verse 2, that it's a passive, so to speak, activity. That you and I need to spend time with the Lord. Why? That He would transform us. You're commanded to be transformed, yet you're helpless to transform yourself. It's a passive activity. In other words, again, surrender. Seek the Lord and surrender. He wants you to surrender to Him. Why? Christian, all those years you've been praying, God, change my life. God, use my life. Glorify your life uh, through me. Help me to glorify you, Heavenly Father. Empower me. I want to see the gifts flow. I want living water to pour through me. Oh, Lord. You know what He's waiting for? If you've already dedicated your body to Him, a living sacrifice, verse 1, He's waiting for verse 2. He's waiting. I'm convinced of that. In my life and in yours. That He's wanting you and I simply to surrender to Him. As if He might be saying to someone here, Allow me to do this work in your life. I will change you and transform you from the inside out. But you have to surrender to the work of me doing it. And stop doing it on your own. That's more or less how He would speak to me. Drew, stop doing it. Let me do the work. So he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He wants to renew your thought life. And you want to know God's will, right? Who here wants to know God's will for your life? Look at how this is written. This is how you are going to know the will of God. It's not a matter of action. Do this, do that. Okay, I yes. Got my little pin, my little badge, and, and I'm set. Surrender to the work of the Spirit. What will happen? As He transforms your mind, no longer being worldly with worldly thoughts, transforms your thought life now that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will is good. God's will is acceptable. God's will is perfect. Some take this and go, oh, there's a perfect will and permissible will. Anybody hear of that? I don't think that's biblical. Why? Because I know myself when I was a, if you want to call it carnal Christian, I always choose, a, okay, God, you said do this. I choose a Jonah ministry. I'm going to go do it my way and want you to be over here. I'm going to pray and ask others to put on a prayer chain that, God, you would bless this mess. Because I don't want to go do this. I want to do it my way. If I feel like it, when I feel like it. And I had brothers tell me, you know, you're actually serving yourself. You're worshiping yourself. You are your own God. Oh, that stinks. <laughs> That's where I was. And I find that there's a lot of us that might be like that. So God's will is perfect. It doesn't say that this is a perfect will and a permissible will because you know your own heart, so to speak. You're going to be going, okay, there's a perfect will and he permits this. I'm going to go do that and ask God to bless that mess. How many of you guys know that's how you're wired? That's kind of how we are, right? Don't look, God. I'm going to go do this. So this is how you're going to be able to prove the will of God, which is good. God's will is good. God's will is acceptable. And God's will is perfect. You're going to be able to prove that, not just to you. You don't have to prove anything to God. But others that see your life, they want to see God's will work through your life. And now as they know, especially if they've known you maybe your whole life, and you changed. You still look the same. Still got your fingerprints. Your ID on your New York or whatever state you're in. Driver's license or ID still says the same thing. 
but you've changed. You've been transformed. Or you could be like many American Christians, you stay the same. Spiritually a babe in Christ is what the Bible says. Or you could allow others to see that you're proving this good, acceptable, and perfect will of God because they see you transform. Your thought life is not like how you used to be when you're hanging out with your homies. How many of you guys know that? Some of you guys know that, right? Your old friends try to invite you like, oh, well, Peter writes about that. He, you know, invites you to those drinking parties. Like, you ain't the same, man. So why? Because you're transformed. You're different now. You're born again. So we need to close. We're going to close, get ready for a time of worship if we can. So I'm going to ask that we can get ready to please start up a time of worship as we close. And I'm just going to simply say this to you, that you would prayerfully seek God and surrender to the work of His Spirit in your life. You can move over if you need to. And during our time of worship, I know we, we asked last week and like 20 of you guys or so came up. That's good. Praise God for that. We focus on verse 1, that you would be dedicating your body a living sacrifice to God. Well, here's the conjunction, and. Okay, so if this was you, especially if you came last week, or this is your first time hearing this, I also want to invite you, if you want to come up and you want to be prayed for, that you wouldn't just dedicate your body to Him a living sacrifice, but that you would surrender to the work of His Spirit. You're not surrendering to me or to the people in this fellowship, but to the Spirit of God. We want to pray for you. And again, if that's one, great. If that's some or all of you, that's great too. I just want to kind of cast the net. You never know what you're going to catch. And I believe, because we've been systematically going through this, that the design, the divine design of God's Word, and what He's probably doing in the hearts and lives of you, His children, is, again, He's been waiting to transform you. If I were you, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait another year, another decade, another month, whatever it is. Just surrender to the work of His Spirit. If you want prayer, as we worship, I'm going to invite you to come forward and we can pray for you. We can continue to worship. We're going to do that for now. So let's all stand, please. I'm going to close with prayer. But again, if someone here wants to have prayer for that, that they would surrender to the Lord, I'll simply ask you to come forward and we could pray for you. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, as we continue to worship you, we thank you, Lord, for how brilliant you are, how precise, how accurate your scriptures are. We ask you, Father, that you would help us simply to surrender to you that we would seek you, God, and we would throw away the garbage of this world, that we wouldn't be conformed to the world's schematic. But Lord, we know that you're trying to transform each of us in the inner person, in our thought life. And it's an ongoing work. Oh, Lord, send the helper. We need your help. Empower us, God, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to worship. To honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you.
lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm laying down my rights. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new life. And I surrender. And I surrender all to you, all to you, and I
In your presence there is peace. Living water, come fill me. Jesus, I do confess. I need your holiness. Thirsty, I come to If so, simply come down. I want us to gather around here, though. Can you guys come in? Thank you, Susan. Thank you. 
So we anointed each of you with oil. Awesome. Anybody else? We ask for the Lord to anoint your lives. We simply want to close with a word of prayer now. But I also want to exhort you to remember to keep surrendering your life to the Lord. Let it not just be a song that we sing. That you would take the time to allow Him to transform your thought life. And we need Him oh so badly every day. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this holy moment. Thank you, Lord, even as you show us strategically as you go through this book that we call Romans, that, Lord, in accepting salvation through Jesus and his work alone, now it's logical, as you say, that we would dedicate our entire bodies to you as a living sacrifice. And, as we learn in verse 2, that we wouldn't be conformed to the world's schematic, so to speak. That we would be transformed as you're commanding us, but yet we're helpless, Lord. And so we want to surrender ourselves to you, Father, that you would do that work. You've been waiting for us. Each of us represent decades and decades together that you've been waiting for us to simply surrender to you. Lord, let that be this moment right now. I believe this is a holy moment that you're doing that work. It's like a scalpel that you're reaching within our hearts and you're wanting to cut things out. You're wanting to remove maybe our goals, our plans out so that you could replace those things and your thoughts replacing our thoughts, your words replacing our unholy words, our unholy ways. We need the transformative work of your spirit in our lives. And so we want to commit ourselves to you, Lord. Let this not just be another Sunday on the calendar, but God, something where we can keep each other accountable, where we would pray for each other. There's many of your children that are here, God, and I believe that's a work of your spirit. You brought us to a place and a time such as this that we would simply surrender to that work, that you would have your way with us, and we commit ourselves to you. We're already saved by your work. But now you want us. You want our bodies and you want our minds. And so we ask, can you please transform us from within? Renew our minds. There's that ongoing renewal. And Lord, you know that we need that not just every day, throughout each and every day. Do that work, Lord. We surrender our hearts to you ourselves to you our thought life we're we're sick of how trashy our thoughts can be and how the world has poisoned us by its schematic forgive us for those things we repent from those things but we ask that you would now replace our thoughts with holy thoughts that you would empower us send that helper we need your help god help us to surrender to you to keep seeking you and during the day as days go on when our thoughts slip or we allow something to come in, help us to quickly repent and to talk to you and ask for you to help us to put up a door or some kind of a wall or something for protection that we would quickly repent from those things, those words, those thoughts, that it wouldn't lead to unholy actions. But protect us, Father. Send your angels to surround us Help us, God, to be leaders within our sphere of influence. But to lead spiritually, we have to be led first by you. 
So help us, Father, to give in to the work of your Spirit, that we would be followers of Jesus, that you could lead us so that we could lead others, and that you would truly now start to use each of our lives. So we want your empowerment, but it's got to be done your way. We want your spiritual gifts, but Lord, we have to utilize them in holy ways. So we ask, Father, as we commit ourselves to you, help us, God, to continue to surrender to you. That's an ongoing surrendering, an ongoing renewal of our mind and our thought life so that we can prove your will, that it's good, it's acceptable, your will is perfect. And we will see that, but we first have to surrender ourselves, that you would renew our thoughts so that our actions and words will be holy now, led by you. And others will see your will. It'll be proven to them, but they need to see it through our actions, God. So use us, Lord. Use us that we would glorify you and you alone. For we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.